Welcome to The Word in Life. The following message is by Pastor James Detweiler. Additional sermons and other resources can be found at thewordinlife.com. So everyone take out your Bibles and find the letter of 2 Timothy in the New Testament, beginning with verse 10 of chapter 3, and hopefully everyone has a program and the outline is on the back. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. And as you find that, I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this chance to gather around your word. You speak to this day. You speak to us corporately and individually right now in the power of the Spirit. May you speak in a way that we can hear and be transformed in the experience and apply this truth to our lives to make a positive difference in our homes and our workplaces and our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul writing to his uh, mentee, his disciple in the faith, young Timothy, passing on the most important thing at the end of Paul's life, uh, which is to remember Jesus in the moment of difficulty in challenging seasons of life. You fix your eyes squarely upon our Savior, Jesus, who he is and what he has accomplished and what difference it makes for you. And so in that season of turmoil, whatever it might look like, it might be a social unrest, it might be a global pandemic, it might just be a hard day at home or at work. For every moment that you put your eyes on those circumstances, let us at least place our eyes upon Jesus a couple more, right? That's what Paul is communicating here. And as part of that remembering, today we will see the the role that the Bible plays in that remembering, in that remembering. Let me begin by asking you this question, perhaps it's been put to you before, If your house was burning down and you could only grab three things as you exited as quickly as possible, what would you take? What three items would you choose? I'm not talking about people, but things. Okay, obviously we get the people. Maybe we get the pets. But then things, what three would you pick? Valuables or mementos or documents. I want you should have noticed what Paul wants as he is in prison. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, he's asking, he says, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. So Paul is in prison. He has virtually nothing. Death is right around the corner. And what does he want? He wants a warm coat. And he wants the books and the parchments. And this isn't the latest Harry Potter novel. He wants the word of God. He wants the inspired writings. He wants the the Bible. Now, when you hear that, you might think, really, Paul? Again, in that scenario, what three things would you grab if you were fleeing your burning house? What's most important to you? What would you really need? Paul says he wants... The Bible. He didn't have a smartphone to look at the Bible on. He wanted the physical copies of Scripture. How useful is that, Paul? 
Surely there could be better things you would want in prison. I mean, practically speaking, how useful is it that you want the books and the parchments? Well, maybe Paul's on to something. What does Paul know that maybe some of us don't know? And we see it in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 3. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that's what Paul knows about the books and the parchments, about one of the most important things to grab when the house is burning down. That all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable, it's useful, it's practical. Yet so many today want to have Christ without the Word. To claim Christianity without the Bible. Uh, So many try to follow Jesus this way, individually and so-called churches and denominations and, and seminaries. And some don't try to hide it, they just absolutely, you know, outright reject most of what's in this. And some wouldn't be so forthright, but secretly, they deny the Bible because their actions betray those beliefs. And I think there's two reasons for that. One, those individuals, those churches, those seminaries, whatever, uh, either have never truly experienced or discovered the power of the word, or... Here's the more frightening one. They have experienced it and they don't like it. They don't like that. So they run from it. So many who claim Christ, you know, they may turn to the Word of God from time to time, usually out of some sort of guilt. Or they let others do it for them, like a chaplain or a pastor or a parent. But they don't do it for themselves. And they miss out on so much. They're losing out on so much. And what keeps me up at night is that those who have no hunger for the word, what does that say about them? About their heart, the state of their soul? They may have a false assurance of being in Christ, yet no evidence of that relationship because they have no hunger for the word. What does that say? In John's gospel, chapter 8, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, a verse that Jesus used We read, man does not live by bread alone, but but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I love that interaction between Peter and Jesus, in which Peter confessed, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. So today, as we look at the Apostle Paul's words, as it relates to Scripture, I want to look at the role of the Bible in following Jesus. The Word, the Word of God, and life. And the big takeaway is that the quality and consequence of your life depends on the Word of God. So turn to the Bible to follow Jesus. Okay? The quality of your life now 
and the consequence, what impact, what difference that it will have depends on your relationship with the Word. So turn to the Word to follow Jesus. Let's look at the text, picking up with verse 10 in chapter 3. The Word of God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the Bible, God's word, that's how it's described, is powerful, it's profitable, it's practical, and it's irreplaceable. Okay? Powerful, profitable, practical, and irreplaceable. Paul starts out by saying that the Bible is inspired unlike any other inspiration in this world. It's not like I sat down at the piano and wrote a song because of the great love that I have for my spouse. Not kind of that kind of inspiration. This is breathed out, literally. God breathed it out. He spoke it out using human authors. It's His words. His words. The authority and the power of the Word of God. Now in verse 10, he says, you, however. Now he's contrasting Timothy and his treatment of the word and his ministering to the church compared to those false prophets, those false teachers, those imposters that we heard about a few, few weeks ago in verses 1 through 9. You, however, and remember the, the false teachers, the false prophets, the false believers had the appearance of godliness but denied its true power. Okay, so they looked a good game but they were dead in their heart. They didn't, they didn't believe God. They were using God for their own purposes. Now the word is powerful. Okay, the word transforms people. In verse 10, Paul says, Timothy, you have followed what I taught and how I lived and all the things that I raised you up in. So continue in that Continue in that and help others to do the same. Because in this life, it says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So follow what you have seen from me, learn from me what you have seen in the Scriptures, in good and in bad, in persecution even. Continue to follow. I mean, even when the godlessness of this world is overwhelming, we hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And we live differently. That's what Paul is saying in verse 14. But as for you, but as for you, you live differently. 
You've experienced life outside of Christ in the world. You've seen these false teachers creep into God's household and, and tempt many. You, however, live differently. The analogy of, of changing teams, like in professional sports, when you go from one team to another, well, you wear a different uniform and you play by a different playbook, right? And for the Christian, the playbook is the Word of God. That's how we are to live differently. That's, that's what we continue in. That's how we know. He says in verse 15, from childhood, you have been acquainted by the or with the sacred writings. The word you have been familiar with the word. And why is that important? Well, he says it very clearly. They are able to make you wise for salvation. So there's the the end salvation. The means is the sacred writings. Now, elaborate on that, Paul. What do we exactly mean they are able to make you wise unto salvation? Well, we see it in verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be equipped for every good work. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired. There's an intrinsic authority and power in it. Because God is in it. <laughs> okay? So it's, it's not pick or choose. All Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, all Scripture, every word is inspired in the original manuscripts. <sighs> Breathed out by God. He says it's profitable, it's useful. Now how do we use it? Well, we teach, we reprove, we correct, and we train. That the person of God may be built up, equipped, complete. That's the end. The Bible, God's word, is powerful, profitable, practical, and irreplaceable. You can't substitute it and follow Jesus. <laughs> because we find Jesus in it. We have a relationship with Jesus through it. So how are you using the Bible? How are you using the Bible in... Your relationship with God and your relationship with others. Because when you encounter God in the Bible, it's not just about you and Him, it's about you and others. Your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, your work, uh, people in your community. And there's no replacement. It's God's ordained method for what you can consider creating and recreating. In Genesis, it says He spoke the world into existence. He spoke the universe into existence. That he creates through his word. Jesus is described as the word. And he recreates with his word. He breathes new life into a person's heart by speaking to them. In the same way that Jesus called out to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out. And a man who was dead came alive. It's the same for someone who was spiritually born again. God speaks and it happens. Power. In the Word, it's God's ordained method for creating and recreating. It's powerful, profitable, practical, and irreplaceable. Now let's continue in the text, picking up with chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So Paul gives Timothy a solemn charge. I mean, this is more solemn than when you raised your right hand and, and entered into the military, right? This is the most solemn thing that a person could swear to in this Context. I charge you in the presence of God and everybody else. <laughs> and the charge is found in verse 2. Preach the word. Why preach the word? For all the reasons mentioned above. Profitable for reproof and correction and training in righteousness and teaching. You see, preaching, biblical preaching, expository preaching, in which a preacher works through the Word of God and exposes the meaning so that a person will apply it to their lives is mandated for the church. It's not optional. I charge you in the presence of God, preach the Word. It is the centerpiece of Protestant worship. The Word preached. It's not optional. So, as a follower of Jesus, I just encourage you to pursue it. Pursue biblical preaching because your health hangs in the balance, okay? Your health hangs in the balance. The, the mark of a healthy church and a healthy Christian is Biblical expository preaching, receiving the whole counsel of God. That's why pastors, elders in the local church are tasked with this responsibility. They're given this charge, preach the word. It's like feeding the sheep, nurturing the flock, caring for followers of Jesus through the word. And what's the alternative if we neglect this charge? If you neglect this charge as, the, as members of the body of Christ, well, poor preaching creates poor theology, or poor theology produces poor preaching. And poor theology and poor preaching uh, encourages poor practice, your applied theology, <laughs> how you live, and therefore poor spiritual health. And Paul warns us about this. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming... The time is coming where people do not want to hear the word of God. They don't like what God says because the Bible confronts. There are many hard sayings in Scripture that we wrestle with because in our fallen sinful states, in a world that is godless, we don't like it because it gets all up in our business and how we want to live or what we think is right. Not so in the church, okay? It's not to be so in the church. Again, remember verse 5, as for you, as for you, they may be doing that. Poor theology, poor preaching, poor applied theology, poor spiritual health. They may be living like that, but as for you, you live differently. <laughs> preaching and the Bible and preaching and you, okay? I don't know if, 
how many preachers are in this room? I'm not going to count. But the large majority are not preachers. Okay? So when I talk about good biblical expository preaching, don't turn your ears off because this affects you as much as it affects me as a preacher. Okay? Your spiritual health hangs in the balance. If... If the power and the purpose depended on the preacher and not the word of God, watch out. So if a preacher gets up and doesn't preach from the word of God, there is no intrinsic power or purpose in it. It's just the opinion of a person. And you really have not much reason to believe it or to do anything about it because of it. Okay? The question is, why should you listen to me? Now, some of you know me, and there's some relational trust, but some of you don't. So why shouldn't you listen to me? You shouldn't listen to me or any preacher that does not base their message on the word of God, which is powerful and purposeful. God's words, not my words. No, you may not be a preacher, but you are a Christian, and you are part of a local church, of a congregation. You're called by God to value preaching, to value his word. And how do you do that? How do you value his, his word? You know, I've studied the word and preaching for 15 years, and I've done it for about 20 years. And what I've learned is that while everyone can't go to seminary or you know, do do all the kind of education that might be required to really go deep in all the things of God. You know, in a sense, all it takes is the faith of a child, the humility of a child. God's message of salvation is pretty simple. And the Spirit illumines our hearts and minds to understand and apply. But aside from that, what's tragic is many people, and this is in the church, perhaps following Jesus their whole lives, don't know how to, to value preaching in the Word. They don't know how to listen to a sermon, for example. They don't know what to do during the message because they've never been taught. So I'm just going to really quick teach you how to get the most out of this time to value preaching and value the Word. How to listen to a, a sermon actively. That means you engage, right? You turn on your mind and your heart, right? You don't clock out. You don't wait for the music to begin again. You, you stay awake. Whatever you got to do to stay awake, take notes, not be distracted, put away your phone, you know, prepare yourself before you come. Actively, actively engage. Whatever you hear, run it through your mind. Ask questions of whatever is coming out of the mouth. Look at your Bible. See if it compares, you know, with the word of God. Okay, there's one way to listen actively. Prayerfully, you should engage the Word of God before the sermon, during the sermon, after the sermon. Be praying for yourself and your family members and the preacher, right? God, if, if you don't show up, I'm not going to understand any of this. <laughs> and I, I sure am not going to know how to apply it to my life. It's a simple prayer like that. Mindfully. Again, God wants us to worship Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Use your brain. Use your brain. Humbly. 
This goes back to, to those who reject the word of God because they want to put their opinions over the opinion of God. So if you can't come to the word, if you can't come to preaching and humble yourself, you know, you're not humbling yourself before the chaplain or the preacher. You're humbling yourself before God. And if that drives you crazy, it just, it just shows that you have not gotten to a place where you can submit to the creator as the creation. But if you do humble yourself and you are open to whatever he has for you, for correction, for discipline, for life-giving words, man, the floodgates open up and you start to get stuff during your devotional time and during the message at worship service. Humbly, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Soulfully. What do I mean by soulfully? It's not all about head knowledge, right? We have souls, something that's transcendent. It's not just knowing facts about God and all the right answers to the questions. It's about an experience of Jesus at the level of the soul, burning within. You know, that, that's hard to explain or describe, but something's going on inside. Somebody's pulling at your heartstrings. Who is it? It's God. Soulfully. And finally, receptively. Do any of you like to receive criticism or feedback? Instruction? Well, some of us love it, but I'd say that most of us don't. I still don't like it. But what I have learned is it's for my good. Okay? And that's how it is with a relationship with God through his word. Yeah, I come to this in the morning during my devotional time or on Sunday when I hear a sermon and, and God disciplines me through it. Okay? He corrects some of my poor theology or more my poor practice. He, he, he corrects me when I'm unloving with my words or my deeds. He, he draws me to him in a deeper, more profound way. And that will not happen unless I humble myself and I'm ready to receive. That's what I mean by receptively, okay? It's time for you to eat. I've seen people get more excited about the buffet at Golden Corral than living off the very words of God. Guilty as charged. Okay, I like to eat. Only one satisfies eternally, right? Okay. I am ready to receive. Okay. So when I tune into a sermon podcast or attend a worship service, engage the word through the preacher or in my morning devotional times, I'm ready to get <laughs> to receive from the very hand of God. Okay. And then do something with it. That's how to listen to a sermon. Actively, prayerfully, mindfully, humbly, soulfully, and receptively. Again, the quality and the consequence of your life depends on the word of God. So turn to the Bible to follow Jesus. Moses said it. Jesus said it. God said it. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In Hebrews, we're told the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Your vitality and your legacy depends on your interaction 
with the word of God. I've seen this time and time again. Those who embrace the word, embrace life. Those who reject the word, reject life. I know it's not easy. We live in a culture that wants to label this as hate speech and cancel anyone who has an opinion that comes from that. Illegitimate voice. Won't even tolerate it anymore. It's not easy. I know that. And that's the world. What about our own hearts that push back against the word because we don't like something God says is true and good and right? It's not easy. We wrestle with it. Sometimes we run with it. We often fight with God over it. But he's a big God. He can take it. And the transformed heart eventually submits to it. It might take a day, it might take a week, it might take a year, it might take a decade or a lifetime to finally submit to something in the Word that you don't like. But eventually God brings you to. And it's for your good. A person does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from his mouth. Do you believe it? Do you believe this truth? Your relationship with God is at stake. Turn to the Bible to follow Jesus. I'll leave you with one parting picture. The soldier on the battlefield. It's chaos. He's overcome. She's overcome with fear. What's going to see her through the battle? Perhaps that soldier has a love letter in their back pocket. And they pull it out before they go into battle and they read it. And in the midst of the battle, if they've got time, they pull it out again and they read it again. And then if they make it through the battle, they pull it out again they give, thanks, man, I'm going home one day to see the one whom I love. That's what we have in Scripture. We have the words of God which cry out his love to you, to you, to you, to you. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness in it. We pray that you would take this truth, apply it to our hearts so that we might follow Jesus. We thank you that you've given us such grace in your word. We thank you for this time and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us at The Word and Life. If you've been encouraged by this message, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to check us out on the web at www.thewordandlife.com.